Hi everyone! Welcome back to Snap Back to Reality, the podcast where we revisit the trash TV we grew up with and love to hate. I'm your host Riley Innes, and this is episode 60. Welcome back everyone! Oh my god, I was like really nervous to start recording because this is the first episode I've done in, I don't know, a month? A month and a half? It feels like it's been forever. Um, Obviously, I'm a little bit late on this week's episode. I should really say last week's episode I don't even know um so (laughs) I guess I should give like an update on on what's been going on so um what have I been up to honestly not that much uh my mental health has not been great I've just had a really hard time focusing and it takes up a lot of mental energy to be at work eight hours a day 40 hours a week because I'm still working full-time um And so, yeah, I just get really burnt out when I get home at night and I just have a really hard time, like, working on something that's not mindless and not just laying around and mindlessly scrolling through social media. Um, So I'm kind of struggling there. But, yeah, that's why this week's episode is so late as I just procrastinated on it. And then over the work week, you know, I was like, I'm going to work on it tonight. And then I get home and I just crash and then finally I got my notes done and I'm recording it now um so anyway hopefully I can get back to normal or the new normal soon of every other week um I think I'm just going to need to keep it every other week for my own sanity and ability to produce things um but yeah I want to stay consistent I don't want to get all messed up and out of schedule so I'm trying I'm trying you guys um, other housekeeping, I made my donations for June, so I will post the, um, receipts for accountability, but basically this is what happened. I had 869 plays in total over the four episodes. That was as of Saturday, July 11th, uh, which was when I was writing my notes. I thought that was only fair to let it run until I started taking my actual notes. Um, so I was donating 15 cents a play. Um, so that turned out to be $130.45 in total. I divided that into three for the three individual causes that I was supporting. Um, so that's $43.45. I just rounded up to $45 because that made sense. Um, so $45 each to uh, the Okra Fund for the girls and the Black and Pink's COVID-19 Relief Fund. Um, so yeah, thank you guys all for listening and participating in our June fundraiser. For July, I've decided that I'm going to do the Equal Justice Initiative. I am I think it was Troy who messaged me and gave me that um, idea, so thank you, Troy. And maybe one other cause, I might divide it into two. I might just keep it uh, the EJI. Um, we'll see. So if you have any specific ideas for August or also for July, let me know if there's like any cause that's really close to your heart um, that specifically supports Black folks, um, especially if they support uh, LGBTQ or trans Black people in general. Um, all right, so this week, I originally was going to do something completely different, but then there was, like, something that told me, just, like, Riley, check, check YouTube, it's time, I think it's time to check it again, and finally, after years of me hoping and wishing and wanting and dreaming, all eight episodes of The White Rapper Show are finally available on YouTube for free. Pretty good quality, like it wasn't too bad. Um, so that was extremely exciting. 
Um, so I've wanted to do this show for a while. I think I've probably talked about it before. <laughs> it's just one of those shows that I remember watching. It kind of sits in the same place uh, in my memory as the 70s house. Um, it's just one of those like stupid one-off VH1 shows. I guess 70s house was MTV. Um, but it was so, I remember it being so good and so bad. And I don't know, I, it feels especially timely now, maybe. Uh, for there to be a discussion of white rap and appropriation and I don't know. Um, I will say that I did have to wonder if it was appropriate for me to talk about. Like, is, you know, is the first show that I do after I come back from my Black Lives Matter recording hiatus, um, should it be a white rapper show? But I thought that there were some moments in this show that have they're a good jumping off point for conversation and discussion um so that was my thought process there um oh so also before we get into talking about all of this <laughs> uh, I do want to take a moment here and just have like a deeper conversation and kind of just take a moment to recognize like my own complicity um in white supremacy I guess via this podcast I'm I'm not exactly sure if I am being complicit or not, like I just kind of want to give my thought and my background. And so I, I want to recognize that the majority of the shows that I've talked about are white shows, right? They're majority white cast members. They're intended for a mainstream white audience. And there have been a few exceptions, like Flavor of Love, I guess, is the main exception. Although I don't necessarily know what the audience was intended to be. I don't know if that was intended for a black audience or a white audience or a mixed audience. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, but I just want to like acknowledge that, recognize that, and just put it out there that there are a few reasons. Like I have been conscious of this for a while. Um, so one of the reasons, this is the first reason is just that, you know, a lot of these shows I'm talking about are shows that I remember from my past. And these are just, you know, the mainstream things that I watched. I didn't watch a lot of black media as a child because I wasn't surrounded by it. I wasn't. I didn't have anyone in my life that was introducing it to me, so that's just one of the reasons. Um, But I also want to recognize, I'm like so nervous to say this, like I don't know how controversial this is going to be or not, and it's not that I'm afraid of getting canceled, because I don't, one, I don't think I'm like cancelable, because I'm so small time, Um, but also like I I don't care about getting called out, like if someone, if I ever say something like incorrect or insensitive, like I would, I want people to let me know. But I never want to like say something that accidentally hurts someone because I never want to intend pain. Um, So I will say that this has been a deliberate choice on my part to not do as many black television shows. And there are a couple of reasons why. I have to take a sip of some tea before I get into it. Um, So like this show is, I guess it's like light cultural commentary. It has a definitely it has a base of, of snark that I'm bringing into it, right? Um, and I never want to like punch down, like quote unquote punch down on anyone. So if I'm snarking, I want to snark on like people who have it better than me or who people are in like a higher class, you know, have more privilege in general, I guess. Um, so I want to recognize that like there are parts of black culture, aspects of black culture that I as a white woman will never fully understand or might not just be able to recognize it as like a cultural thing and I don't want to snark on someone's culture. So that's one thing. Um, like for example, I know when I, was it Flavor of Love or Strange Love? 
when they went to the church with Flavor Flav's mom, um, and there was, I think that was it, right? And that was where there was, like, the pantomime thing happening, and I was like, oh, this is something that I'm definitely unfamiliar with, and maybe if I, you know, had been younger or, you know, just not as conscious might have been a moment that I would take to, like, snark on and be like, this is really weird, but, like, now I recognize, like, no, this is someone's religious belief, so I'm not going to try to, I'm trying, I'm going to try not to say anything insensitive about it, so I think I did okay with that moment, um, because, you know, I was very obviously able to, like, recognize that that's just a cultural thing that I was not familiar with because it was happening in a church, so I never want to do that with something that I don't recognize as, like, a cultural thing because it's not as obvious to me if that makes sense um and then there also I don't know how controversial this reason will be the other reason behind that is I have seen some criticism um I'll say specifically there was a vulture article that I read uh that was taken from Dear White People the book um Justin Simeon's book uh so the article was called Reality TV is a New Blackface and basically it's just like there's an argument to be had that the way that black people are portrayed in media and in reality TV specifically is a new form of minstrelsy. Um, and that's not something I want to inadvertently engage in. So I, as a white woman, don't know exactly where it's appropriate for me to engage in like a conversation, a snarky conversation, a cultural critique of a black television show when there are a lot of amazing black people who are doing it you know way better than I ever could via podcasts or articles or books or you know whatever else so that's something that I recognize so I just want to like give my reasoning give my background and my thought process on why I haven't really done a lot of black tv shows on this podcast um I don't don't know give me your thoughts (laughs) I guess So that's just like, I wanted to put that out there. If anyone has any thoughts on that, like I would love to hear that. Um, If you think I should be talking more about it, let me know. If you think like what I'm doing is, you know, I'm staying in my lane as a white girl, like let me know. Like I don't, if you have no thought on this, whatever, that's fine. Um, But yeah, I just, you know, we should be having more conversations about race and how they like, how it plays into all of our interactions and everything that we do in our daily lives. And I want to recognize that, race is something I've definitely thought about like in the past in doing this podcast it's just not something I was ever really brave enough to talk about on air that makes sense all right anyway (laughs) just not sure how to move forward open to having conversations let's go let's 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 talk about some white rappers because this is something I feel more confident in uh talking about um I will say that I do I have been I guess I forgot to mention this. The one thing that I have really been consistently doing each week over the past month is watching uh, Z-Way, Z-Way F on Instagram. Her baited lives on Thursday night is, they're just like incredible. She is amazing. Like she is an amazing comedian, just also an amazing like cultural commentator without even having to provide commentary. She like makes you do all the work yourself. Um, And she's just like exposing a lot of my own blind spots to my own internalized biases and racism. Um, So (laughs) I feel like as I was taking these notes, I could hear her voice in the back of my head being like, hmm, and what do you mean by that? Um, And just like in certain aspects. Uh, So there are parts of this 
like of this show that I felt uncomfortable. Like I'm not going to recite any of these people's raps because even though they're white rappers, like I am also a white girl and I'm not going to sound any better than they are like trying to like rap. So, (laughs) um, I would definitely encourage like as a compliment to this episode, please go watch it on YouTube so you can experience it all for yourself. Cause I seriously thought about like, should I spend time like cutting in every single rap that happens in this entire episode into this episode so that people can like have the context? But I'm sorry, like I just told you about how burnt out I am and how I have no ability to get anything done anymore. So y'all know that's not gonna happen. Um, but it's available on YouTube. All eight episodes are available on YouTube. So you can go watch it very easily and listen to all of these raps that I'm going to talk about, but I'm not going to recite myself. Um, anyway, so my uh, my background with the show, okay, my background with the show in general. So like I said, I kind of already went over this. This is something that I watched when it was airing. Um, I couldn't remember too much of it. So a lot of this was like fresh to me. I remember watching the show, but I didn't remember the nitty gritty details. So that was really fun to be able to like basically experience it for the first time all over again. Um, it was better than I remembered, but... <laughs> Um, I guess not, I mean, you know, it's not perfect by any means. It still has a lot of really cringy moments. I think it was definitely produced by white people. Uh, so I'm sure a black person is going to have a very different view of the show. Um, and maybe not say like it was better than they remembered it or it was good in any way, but I don't know. It was, I thought it, it was definitely entertaining. Um, and it wasn't as, racist I guess as what I was expecting. Um, So background on the show itself the series was created by Ego Trip magazine so the show the full title is actually Ego Trips the white rapper show with white in parentheses. I didn't know what Ego Trip was. I knew that that was the full title. I've known that since the show came out. I thought Ego Trip was a person. (laughs) I thought Ego Trip was like maybe a rapper. Ego Trip is a hip-hop magazine Um, And I learned that only while doing this research. So, you know, we're all learning something. The show aired on VH1 from January 8th to February 26, 2007. So I would have been in eighth grade. So this is really just prime molding my psyche reality TV. And it's just a competition reality show where 10 white rappers competed to win $100,000. They had challenges that they had to compete in each week that related to the history and culture surrounding hip-hop and were supposed to prove like their own level of knowledge of hip-hop uh the you know history of it you know there was a lot of it definitely made it clear that they expected these white people to like pay their dues and have respect for the originators of the art form um so that was good um it was based in the south bronx which was the birthplace of hip-hop Um, and hosted by MC Search of the interracial hip-hop group Third Base, which I had never heard of until I watched this show. Um, It's so funny because it's like, like I said, I watched this show, but I couldn't remember a lot of things about it. So it's like, I'll say I never heard of that, but obviously I did because I watched it when I was like 14. It just didn't, I don't know, settle into my long-term memory, I guess. Um, that's basically all the background. There was some criticism, uh, that I found when I was doing my research. So there was a Rolling Stone article that was written back in, I think, 2007, right when it was airing. Uh, it was basically just calling it really cringy, which is valid. Um, and then this is really interesting. I didn't have time to read this all in full because it was kind of long, but I really want to go back and read it because these are the people that, 
I feel like, you know, when I was, whatever I was talking about earlier about like, I don't know if these people are going to have a different view on the show than I am, but I thought it was pretty good. I think these are the people that are smart enough to have a different view and like articulate enough to, to really like make it make sense. Um, so I found a transcript from a round table that was from the annual meeting of the International Association for the Study of Popular Music, U.S. chapter, uh, from April 2007. So it was called Roundtable, VH1's White Rapper Show, Intrusion, Intrusions, Sightlines, and Authority. Um, so yeah, it was like this, these different panelists talking about just like their critiques on the White Rapper Show. Um, and I really need to go back and read it. But the one thing that I did see that was incredibly valid that I'm very glad I did read before I got into this um, was just the fact that black women are nowhere to be found in this show. Like there, and I'm, you know, there is one episode where they have like a music video and they have like three, you know, video vixens. And I think one of them is black. Um, but literally other than that, there's no black women anywhere. And there's no discussion of the black, like, hip women hip hop artists who were in legends and icons in their own right so we meet all of these like legendary musicians and they're all men like no one no one references Missy Elliott no one talks about Eve no one talks about Queen Latifah like I don't know too much about hip hop I'll admit going into this straight up but I at least know that like there were women hip hop hip hop artists before Nicki Minaj and Cardi B got big so that's their own problem. Um, yeah, and that's basically it in terms of the background. There was not a lot of info to be found on these little like one-off shows. So we are going to be talking about episode one and how I chose this episode, um, primarily because of an important conversation, discussion, I don't know, like moment that happens towards the end of the episode that I thought was really timely and just like, you know, just relevant to today's world. Um, but also I feel like in in general they do a pretty good job in throughout the season and this is me my again my nothing perspective as like a white person white woman who doesn't really like have too much of a background in listening to and knowing the history of hip-hop um so (laughs) from my side they it seems like they do a pretty good job of like giving props to the originators like I said but I think it definitely they do a better job towards the beginning of the season than the end of the season it kind of feels like it falls off especially especially I guess towards the end of the season because they go to Detroit they move from going to they move from being based in the South Bronx to Detroit because that is where white rap started so they talk about Eminem they don't they can't book Eminem on this show like Eminem makes no appearances um but they do meet (laughs) they do meet Kid Rock and the Insane Clown Posse so that's good um so yeah it kind of gets less focused on black hip-hop and more focused on like white rap towards the end of the show so I wanted to stay in the beginning half of the show so that we can talk about uh, the important cultural conversations about where this came from if that all makes sense All right, so episode one starts out with a narrator. He explains that they are on a mission to find the next white rapper that can rip hip-hop to the fullest. Um, They basically just explain the concept of the show, as I explained earlier. Uh, They've searched the country for 10 MCs. We'll be shipping them off to the South Bronx uh, to test them on their skills, knowledge, and appreciation of the culture. And then we learn that the prizes are credibility, respect, oh, and $100,000. So that's not too bad. there's a kind of a funny little reference to like 
Eminem. Well, there are a couple of references to Eminem, but it's like they have to, white rappers have to walk eight miles uphill to get the cred or something like that. Um, so that's kind of funny. So then we have the theme song, which I really like. The theme song is really catchy and it's just, there's like the title card theme song part. I really like because it's like the white rapper show, which was just burned into my hippocampus as a child since I saw this when I was like forming my brain at 14 years old. It's just one of the things that my mind plays on repeat in my my ADHD brain jukebox that just happens all the time. Oh, that's another thing I forgot to mention. Um, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how real it is. I need to actually go see a psychiatrist probably, but I have self-diagnosed myself with ADHD. Um, and it's a struggle. Like everything right now, it's like the worst it's ever been. And I can't focus on anything ever, uh, which is, yeah, why this episode is so late as we've already gone over. But um, that's, I think that's the reason why uh, my brain has a jukebox that plays all the time that just like when I'm just going about doing my thing, I constantly have a song playing in the back of my mind. Um, And the White Rapper Show (laughs) theme song is now, well, has been in the rotation for the past 13 years, but is really been refreshed uh recently since I've been watching it as you can imagine so we meet NC Search who once again is the host of the show um he tells us that he is the of the legendary hip-hop group or legendary I don't sorry that's in the next line I don't want to give them bigger props than they necessarily have um of the hip-hop group third base I was not aware of this group but I'm not very into hip-hop other than like the very very mainstream stuff so I'm probably gonna sound like an ignorant idiot as I record this podcast and hopefully you can all just bear with me um we also meet legendary hip-hop producer Prince Paul um and so we've been told that they've screened thousands of audition tapes and now it's time to bring in the finalists for the last round so the first person that we see is Dasset. he is from Toledo Ohio and his whole thing is that he wraps wearing like khakis and like an oversized button-up and a dorky tie um and he's like oh yeah you're, you're gonna look at him he's like oh he looks different you, you're gonna listen to him or, as MC Surge says, we're going to look at him and think he just came off a shift from Kinko's. But his rap seems okay. Like, his flow is good from as far as I can tell. Uh, he seems confident, so that's fine. Um, and then, then we meet my boy, John Brown, King of the Burbs, Hallelujah Hallaback, Ghetto Revival Baby. Um, John Brown is like, I would call him the breakout star of the show, but he didn't really break out after the show, but he was definitely the most memeable person that came out of the show. Um, I had a friend in eighth grade, yeah, eighth grade social studies that was South Carolina history, but we still learned like, you know, US history. And that was the first year that I learned about John Brown, the abolitionist, like the historical United States figure. Um, and so me and my friend, I'm pretty sure it was Brianna. She had a twin sister named Brittany, but I'm 98% sure that it was Brianna who was in my class, uh, thinking back on it. And we would turn to each other. And then whenever the teacher would talk about John Brown, I would look at her and I'd be like, John Brown, King of the Burbs. And she'd be like, hallelujah, how back or vice versa. But yeah, he has like these catchphrases. He really was like on the whole branding thing on the whole like catchphrase thing. Like it's too bad that 
social media wasn't bigger when this was airing because he would have like blown up in terms of like gifts and shit um mc search asks if he has thug credentials and he says what's really hoods suburbia and he's like we got pinot noir pinot grigio porsches does he say porsches i can't remember he says keg parties for sure um so yeah he's just he's hilarious he has ghetto revival he never talks about uh he never explains what it is people ask him all the time like what is ghetto revival it turns out that it's like his rap crew like um I'm about to make some really dated references that's gonna prove that I like don't know shit about hip-hop so I'm sorry like you know how <laughs> 50 Cent had G-Unit and Eminem had D12 and there was like wasn't it I think it Walk of Lock of Flame had Taylor Gang that was him right I don't know right there there are more I'm sure but I don't know them I'm sorry um Ghetto Revival was John Brown's crew and apparently one of the other rappers was Dred Scott so they're like doing a whole thing with like John Brown Dred Scott like these historical like figures but he doesn't talk about that at all like he could go so much deeper um I feel like if John Brown if we'll, we'll meet Just Rhyme later but I feel like just rhyme could take john brown's whole concept and go a lot further with it so i mostly only wanted to talk about the people who actually make it onto the show but i had to talk about miss ckc even though she doesn't make it past this like final audition round because she is wild she's so funny i wonder if um they just got her from central casting and they were like you have to rap and she's like got it i'm a character actress i'll do it uh <laughs> she tells us that she's from Oswego, New York. This is a little talking head. And she's like, I grew up in a small town with more cows than people. Cows are great to rap about. It's a whole black and white thing. Um and so when Miss when uh MC Search asks her what she likes about hip hop, she starts rapping as she's answering and she's like, I just like I can't remember what she does. I'd said that I wouldn't I wouldn't recreate these raps, but hers are so funny. Um, I really, like, the whole reason I wanted to cut in and, like, do all the editing with YouTube and cut in, like, other people's raps was because I just want you guys to hear Miss CKC. So please go on YouTube and watch. She's hilarious. Um, and Search is just laughing at her. And then we meet Shamrock. Shamrock spelled with a dollar sign, naturally. Uh, much like Kesha, <laughs> formerly known as Ke, dollar sign, ha. Um, he is a white boy with a grill uh, he grew up in Atlanta. Apparently his father was a blues musician, so he actually grew up around, like, black musicians and, like, you know, has some more credentials, I think, than other people here. MC Search asks him if he's comfortable with the term, it's, it's just said, so I'm going to repeat it. I don't know if this is a word that I should be saying in 2020, and I don't use it, and I will never say it again after this. Uh, he asks him if he's comfortable with the term wigger. Um, Shamrock says that he's not because it's an ignorant term that's a play on another ignorant term. So I appreciate that because you know he doesn't use the n-word, like he knows better, which is good. And I like that we're four minutes into the episode and we're already having these conversations. They don't take it any deeper than this, but I like that it's brought up. So then we meet Misfit. Um, she's like the pretty one. She's got long blonde hair. She's got big boobs. She's from England, so she has a British accent. Her rap is really weird. Like, I don't think it's very good, uh, but apparently other people do. Um, I think her full name is Misfit Dior, but they're never referred, like, she never refers to her last name because it's probably, like, you can't on VH1 because you'll get, like, sued by Dior, the actual luxury brand company. 
Here's where we see a few cringy people that are not going to make it in so we don't linger on them. And then we meet my problematic fave, Persia. Persia is iconic, but she is problematic. Like, I will recognize that. She is actually very good. I don't know if she was actually, like, a rapper, though, because I saw when I was doing my Where Are They Now research, um, it was, like, an interview that she did, and they asked how she got cast on the show, and she said she found a Craigslist ad or something like that that said they were looking for white rappers with personality. And she was like, well, I don't know if I'm a rapper, but I know I have lots of personality. Um, But she's like the best one. Uh, She's from Far Rockaway, Queens, um, which is actually the same neighborhood that MC Search came from. So I think he like immediately is like drawn to her and he believes in her. Um, Yeah, like, yeah, she's iconic. Uh, Another person that is not gonna make it in but I just want to talk about because it's like this moment is really funny this girl named Nomi who's from Waterford Connecticut so it goes from Persia being like what did you get out of your neighborhood and she's like you know there's something about growing up hood that just is no like it's different from anywhere else and I wouldn't trade it for the world and it's very like genuine and humble and like she actually has a connection to her neighborhood and then it cuts to this bitch Nomi and she's like what do I get out of my neighborhood? Raw, real life experiences. You know, my neighbors are real and they are raw. (laughs) And then Serge is just laughing. He's like, wow, I didn't know it was that hard in Connecticut. That's great. (laughs) Then we meet G-Child. G-Child is like rap Avril Lavigne. I don't know why. Every time I look at her, I think of Avril Lavigne. She just looks like Avril Lavigne to me. Um, Her favorite MC is Vanilla Ice and she is unashamed of that which works in her favor because she definitely sticks out in the host's minds later on. Then we meet Just Rhyme. So Just Rhyme is like the nice guy. He is a full-time PhD student in ethnic studies at the University of Southern California, USC. Um, and he he's like anti-racist in 2006, which was before anyone, any other white person that I am aware of was like, actively anti-racist um he has a rap group (laughs) again I sound so white saying that so white and so dumb a rap group his crew is AR-15 anti-racist 15 which I don't know if they like actually talk about that you see it on a t-shirt that he wears later I if you had asked me the first time I heard the term anti-racist I would have told you in like 2014 maybe like 2012 you know after like the Black Lives Matter movement really first started getting going um maybe even 2015 I'm not sure apparently the first time I heard it was in 2007 uh but it didn't stick so I am kind of disappointed in myself (laughs) um and then we get another cut to Miss CKC which is just so funny she has something where it's like there's one this one part where she's like I had a c-section so my pussy's high and tight high and tight y'all it's so bad. Um, a few other people that are not important because they're not going to make it in. However, there is this one Jewish guy, this old Jewish man who is rapping, rap singing in Yiddish, which is kind of fun. Uh, MC Search is just cracking up. He's also Jewish. So I hopefully he like actually understands what the guy is saying and like can appreciate it more. Um, then we meet Sully. My first comment on Sully is strong K-Fed vibes here. I don't know why, but it's just intense K-Fed vibes on that man. Uh, he says in his talking head that his father came home from prison and he moved them out to the suburbs. But what I found when I, again, when I was doing my Where Are They Now research, 
apparently his dad was a famous Boston mobster. So I guess he has like more like thug credentials than I realized because his family is involved in organized crime. We meet this guy, John Boy. He's from Reedville, Virginia, which they have a scene, a rap scene there, even a white rap scene. Like that's, I don't know anything about Reedville, Virginia. Um, John Boy is such a nothing burger. He somehow makes it to top five, but he is like no real personality. Sorry, no offense. And like, why are you going to cast your iconic guy named John Brown and then cast like this other random dude, John Boy? I feel like it's just confusing. Um, 100 Proof, he has a mohawk. He is the one and only drunk rock rapper. Um, I said Florida Georgia Line has left the chat. And then that's basically it. So that ends the auditions. Uh, MC Search and Prince Paul. Prince Paul narrow it down to the final competition. Everyone I mentioned makes it in except for Miss CKC and that know me chick, like I said. So we get a commercial break. And then when it comes back, we open on some establishing shots of Manhattan. Um, so it's like, you know, very like proper. We see Central Park and we see all of the big architecture. So beautiful. And it has some very like nice calming music or whatever the fuck in the background and then it like abruptly changes to shots of Bronx with like a very different vibe kind of being like this is going to be a fish out of water sort of thing the rappers arrive to the place that they're going to be staying and MC Search reaches them oh god I just said that so wrong MC Search greets them lord um so they're staying where they're staying is called the White House Search calls it the illest crib in the Bronx, so of course everyone is expecting some kind of reality TV show luxury mansion like you get, um, but it's basically just a shitty apartment. Uh, there's a lot of space, at least, like plenty of space to stretch out. It was probably a warehouse that they converted or something, um, but yeah, it's just like shitty. Uh, there's a white, there's a trash can that says white trash on it um, that he gives them a tour. There's a basketball court where there's just like uh, milk crates as the baskets, the rec room, which is actually a fully functional studio. So that's pretty cool. Um, a game room, the rooms all have these like jail bunk beds that he says are straight out of Rikers. Um, and then the piece de resistance is a big ass mayo jar in the kitchen, which when you turn it around, you see it has a TV screen in it. Um, so that's their whole shtick is it's going to be, you've got mayo. And that's, that's kind of fun. Love a good pun like that. And then he tells them to make themselves comfortable and he leaves and they all start, start to sort of settle in. Persia finds a roach in the bathroom, which is disgusting, um, but I guess to be expected in New York City. Uh, actually, last night I was hanging out on my porch with my friend and there was a big ass roach that came out on the porch and that was really traumatic. So that's what I'm thinking of now, which is not great. So then we see a moment that I hate. <laughs> we have this moment here that I hate so much. Um, some of the guys, it's Sully, 100 Proof, and Dasset are sitting around outside, basically just talking about how, like, it would be great to have some drinks and start to, like, chill. Like, that's fine. Whatever. I get that. But then they basically just start talking about how hot Misfit is um, and saying that they feel sorry for her once they all do start getting drinks in them because, like, everyone's going to be, like, hitting on her or whatever. Uh, we get some lovely objectification editing on Misfit, where she literally, I feel so bad because it's like, this girl didn't know that this was about to happen. She's like in her pajamas, a little like tank and short set, and like just laying on her bed, chilling. And they have like 
a slow pan down her body with like sensual slow jams in the background. It's just gross. Um, but everyone like is into her. Sully has a little talking head talking about how dope she is. And they end up actually having a fling in a, I guess like the next episode, the next two episodes. Um, so that's like the little romance that happens in the season. <laughs> run girl, misfit. You are the Britney Spears and he is your Kevin Federline. You better run girl. And then we have another moment, um, in another spot in the house. Shamrock asked John Brown about his King of the Burbs nickname. So this is like the first time that they start talking to John Brown and trying to figure out anything about what the fuck his like whole shtick is. And he just is inscrutable. So he says that King of the Burbs is a brand name, I guess. Um, he mentions the Ghetto Revival again, but doesn't elaborate. So I, Ghetto Revival, I guess, is his crew, but is also like a philosophy I guess that he has no greater like way to articulate what it is um <laughs> we do get a good uh couple of talking heads here one from Shamrock saying when John Brown is talking I have no idea what he's talking about and then Sully saying if you're king of the burbs how, what do you know about the ghetto plain and simple which is a valid fucking point um I think a few different people repeat this point but John Brown never like seems to take it up so then he says he's not a rapper. Uh, he's First and foremost, he's an entity, which is like, it's a whole fucking obnoxious, arrogant ass thing. Um, and Persia's just sitting there staring at him while he's like prattling on about the ghetto revival. And so again, she's like, okay, well, how do you plan on reviving the ghetto? And he's like, it's ghetto revival, baby. She's like, yes. And what does that mean? Like, what are the plans? Um, he says, we'll do all kinds of things, which it's just like, it seems very Trumpian sort of, you know, asking, being asked these direct questions and then just being like, oh yeah, it's going to be so great. We have all of these plans. It's going to be amazing. Uh, Persia can see straight through his bullshit. Again, one of the reasons why I do love her as much as like, she does get very problematic at times, but like she, she is real. She's the realest one there. Like it's been said. Um, and she has a talking head where she's like, I have my own ghetto and we have no urge for John Brown to revive us. So then it's the next day, MC Search comes in and explains their first challenge is going to be to go out and impress the neighbors, basically. So they're going to be split into two teams. They will each be given gift bags to distribute. Um, and they're going to be told to go out, meet the neighbors. Uh, they have to rap for them and basically just like impress them. So Search chooses John Brown and Persia as the team captains. Uh, they pick their teammates and then they sh are shown what's in the gift bags. So they have white t-shirts and wife beaters that say I heart white wrappers on them, which is horrible. <laughs> like, oh my god, I cannot imagine anyone actually wearing the t-shirts that they give them to. Um, they also get a package of saltine crackers to hand out. And then a sealed envelope that they said must be delivered to the neighbors still sealed and they'll find out more about that later. So the teams both have a little bit of a huddle individually before they go out into the neighborhoods I guess kind of trying to discuss their strategies. Persia sh throws a little bit of shade at John Brown saying that it's obvious when you have a gimmick and that they just need to be real basically. And then John Brown has a talking head where he says that Persia is threatened by him of course. So we see the teams go out and first up we see John's Brown team go to a group of people just like hanging out sitting on a stoop. 
Um, they introduce themselves and I guess start to like just rap for them. I'm hoping, I'm guessing, <laughs> I'm assuming that someone came around beforehand, of course, with like the release forms, the waivers, and like explained about like what was about to happen. It's like, hey, we have a group of white rappers that are here for a competition reality show. They want to come and rap for you. They have some gifts to give you. Are, is that okay? Um, one of the guys responds really positively to Dasset. He calls him the next Eminem, which is strong, uh, strong praise, I su suppose, but I don't necessarily agree. Um, okay, so this is kind of where I want to talk about the people who is quite obvious who has been around black people before and who hasn't. Um, I did, I didn't make a list of who was on each team. I should have done that, but it's like John Brown's team is all full of people that have not been around black people. And then Persia's team has, Persia's got like Persia who grew up in the hood, like, you know, I'm sure surrounded by other black folks. Um, Shamrock who grew up, I'm sure like surrounded by black musicians with his dad. Like we meet one of Shamrock's friends later, Black Josh. <laughs> it's really funny. And then like, spoiler alert, Shamrock ends up winning the whole shebang. Um, and when he wins, he's like, oh, the first thing I'm going to do with my $100,000 is pay Black Josh back for paying my rent while I was gone. So, like, he actually has, like, black friends. Uh, whereas Misfit, this blonde chick from London, I don't think so. Um, 100 Proof, this rock rapper from Texas, you know, maybe, but probably not. Just based on, like, sort, like some of the things that they say to people. Persia definitely seems the most natural because, you know, she's going from, like, I mean, I don't know anything about the boroughs. Like, I'm not trying to say I don't I don't want to compare Queens to the Bronx. I don't know if they're similar in any way. But she's going from one part of New York City to another part of New York City. It probably feels less of a culture shock than going from Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is where G-Child is from, to the South Bronx. Um, so Persia seems quite natural in talking to everyone. Uh, we do get a problematic talking head from G-Child. Since she's the one that I sa just said she's from Allentown. She says... Me being a white girl in the Bronx, I thought people were going to look at me. I thought people were going to bust some caps. Um, not great, but, you know, she's learning. But they do seem to, like, get along very well with the neighbors. Um, Persia says in her talking head that she feels that the other team went out more to prove themselves and that she felt like her team had more heart. And her teammates really talk her up. Like, we see them all rapping with the neighbors and, like, you know, Persia's out there battling with people in the streets, like just acting like she's part of the neighborhood. So the last house that both teams are going to go to is Grandmaster Flash, an iconic pioneering hip hop DJ. Um, so they have some very different interactions with Flash. John Brown, of like the team captains are the one to talk to him. John Brown at one point, like, Flash is like talking to him and he starts to say something and Grandmaster Flash has to be like, don't interrupt. Uh, he asks him if he knows what the Bronx represents and the man does not. Um, and he, like, he gets called out like directly for being team captain. Uh, he raps for Grandmaster Flash. It's not that impressive. And then you see Persia going right afterwards and she's actually quite good. And she thanks Grandmaster Flash and she thanks him for everything. And then we see her talking head and she says, when I thanked him, I was thanking him for his struggle, you know, for the path that he gave rappers to follow. Like she genuinely is humble and recognizes like this is a man who came before me. Like this is someone that I should give my respect to. Whereas we get the talking head from John Brown right after that. And he's like, 
you know, I see Flash around, you know what I'm saying? You know, it's just something that wasn't shocking. Just a day in the life for the king of the burbs. So, that's lovely. So then after the challenge, everyone decides to get drunk. I don't know where they, like, got the alcohol from because they didn't have it the first night. And I don't know if the producers gave it to them this night or if they decided to just go out and buy it. But they decide to celebrate. (laughs) Everyone starts drinking. And then Persia decides that she is going to call John Brown out directly for being full of shit, basically. So she's just yelling at John Brown, telling him that he she doesn't like him, which it's, you know, it's kind of out of context, but it's also kind of valid because John Brown is full of shit. Um, she's calling him a bitch. She's calling him the clown of the house. He's keeping his cool, you know, cool as a cucumber. She's yelling about how he's not a real lyricist or rapper, and he's the reason why hip-hop gets disrespected. How can he sleep with himself at night? She wants to battle him. Um, this part I fucking love. Like, again, another reason why I fucking love Persia. He says that he has too much game for her, and she's like, oh, you've got game? Then spit it, spit it. I'll give you saliva to spit it with, you dry mouth slut. Which is just the best fucking line I've ever heard. My god. And then for some reason, Sully starts butting in here. I can't, I genuinely can't tell who he's angry at. Because I thought he was angry at Persia first for just like getting in John Brown's face for no reason. But then he starts yelling at John Brown, like, and yelling at him for yelling at a woman. Um, And then things start to escalate. Persia, I should say, starts to escalate things. She goes and she gets her dildo, and she's waving it in John Brown's face, being like, suck on this, basically. Um, The dildo is all blurred out, so you can't really see it, but from what what I can see, it looks like it might be a realistic flesh tone dildo, which um, is a lot. And... At this point, she really starts using the N-word. So that's, this is like the core reason why I wanted to do this episode is the discussion that surrounds the use of the N-word by white people. Um, And this is a white person that grew up in the hood that I'm assuming probably has like majority black friends. She says later on that she uses that word with her friends, but it's not, that doesn't make it okay. So a few things here that are also quite shocking to me, they don't bleep it out. Like, they just let her say it. They bleep out a lot of other stuff that doesn't necessarily make sense to me. Like, I think at one point they said something like, put it in your mouth, like, about the dildo, and they bleeped out the mouth part. So that was hard to tell because they bleeped it out. But they weren't actually bleeping out the curse word. They were bleeping out, like, the sexual part. Um, but anyway, the N-word, they just let that hang. Um, it's just, it's it just is so jarring to me to hear uh yeah I yeah (laughs) I just I'm not around the n-word a lot I guess I should say um so John Brown says in his talking head that throwing the dildo in his face on tv is not a good look um Persia is still cursing calling him a bitch still using the n-word at him calling him the n-word saying he's not a real n-word that sort of thing um and then Just Rhyme, so Just Rhyme is the one who's like super woke, quote unquote woke, whatever you want to say. He's the one who's down with the struggle, the one who's the ethnic studies major. Uh, he very politely, he's like just lounging in bed. He's like, Persia, can you please stop using the N-word? It bothers me. And he says a talking, he has a talking head here where he says the N-word is not okay for people to use and that he, his friends are predominantly black and Latino and he finds the word offensive. So here we are, folks. 
This was in 2007. <laughs> like, we learned back then that the N-word was not okay to use. But shit, people still fucking using it to this day. Um, Persia hits back with a colorblind argument. She says, you know, I grew up in the hood. We ain't see no color. Everyone's my N-word. And I'm someone's N-word right now. And then she walks away calling John Brown a fraudulent bitch. Um, and he just says that it's not easy being king of the burbs. So again, I really like that they have this conversation here. One thing that I don't necessarily think they talk about enough or at all, because this was obviously like very black and white, don't use the N-word in anger towards another person. Like, I mean, just Ryan, I think was like, don't use it at all. But I feel like what happens with Persia is like very much like don't do it in anger. I wish there had been more of an explicit conversation about whether or not, well, or just that it's not okay for white people to use the N-word at all, period, even when singing or rapping along with the song, because I admit it took me longer than I am, um, you know, proud to admit to realize that myself. Because it's like I was, you know, I never used the N-word in a negative way like I never called anyone the n-word but I definitely used to sing it like rap along with it when I was singing a song and I can actually remember the very last time I used the n-word was in February or early March of 2015 was when I was in my study abroad my Paris African Americans in Paris study abroad that I mentioned and it was like the one night I went out to a bar with my friends my classmates and we were dancing and the song, uh, the Jay-Z, Kanye song, Inwards in Paris came on. And, like, we went crazy because, like, <laughs> it was, like, you know, we were in Paris and it was so much fun. And I have, I had such a good memory of singing along with that song on the dance floor with my friends and dancing. But I used the N-word while I was rapping along with it. And so now my memory is tainted because... I realized that I did something that wasn't okay and wasn't appropriate for me to do. Um, And that, like, I had a moment, like, as I was singing that, where I was, like, kind of in the back of my mind, I was like, the N-word is coming up, do you sing it or not? And I was like, oh, it's okay to sing it. And I knew deep down that it wasn't okay. Like, I think this was, like, right after I had done my leadership, my gatorship retreat that I think I talked about previously. Um, So I think this was, like, really when I was, like, I was fresh. I was like, my mind was being molded. I was being open to new possibilities of like learning and unlearning. So I think this was like the last time that I used it because it was the first time that I was really consciously aware of what it meant to use that word as a white person. Um, So yeah, that was the last time I ever used the N word. Uh, But I feel like in this, in this show, there's not a lot of, there's not enough conversation that talks about like when other people are using it, like, it's still not okay, like, even in the context of of rapping along with a song. So, the next morning, MC Search comes in and gathers them all together, um, and he says that he heard things got a little hectic last night. He says to Persia, I heard that you held it down, and she's, like, smiling and nodding. He's like, I heard that you really held it down last night, and so he explains that because she is team captain, she has, or he has some heavy bling that she has to rock. So, He opens up this large case that reveals this huge silver chain with an enormous pendant that says N word. It says the letter N apostrophe word. It's not like actually the word spelled out. Um, But it's got this huge pendant, like fucking giant pendant uh, hanging off of it. 
And so he says that she's going to have to wear it all day um, and basically just explains that the N-word isn't okay and it's uh, not okay for her to use and, you know, maybe she uses it with her friends in New York, but she can't go around the whole country and use it because, like, it's, you know, basically, like, it's just not appropriate. And what I like is what he says at the end of the day, it's not about black and white, it's about wrong and right. And then Jess Ryan has a talking head where he's, you know, again, proving that he's very down with the struggle. And he's like, the, you know, there was a time when those chains were real and they were on black people. So what are you really doing if you use that word? Which he's like, he can be a little heavy handed sometimes, but he's always right. Like, he's not wrong. You got to give it to Jess Ryan. Like, he was fucking on the right side of history back in 2007 when it took all of us another fucking 10 years to wake up, basically. And for the most part, I think all of the other white rappers know not to use the N-word. Like, that's not a thing that ever really happens in the rest of the season. No one puts it in their raps or anything. So, like, good on them, at least. Um, so then MC Search explains that they need to get out of the house for a little bit. Uh, he says something like, the big willies play golf, and you guys are little willies, so you're going to go play mini golf. Um, but he tells Persia that the chain has to stay on the whole time. So I basically think that this is just like some, obviously they had this prop in place. They expected someone was going to use the N-word at some point. So I think they just had this outing scheduled for like whenever that did happen. So the person would be forced to like walk around with their N-word chain on and like really like, you know, have a punishment. So they head off to the van, um, T-H-A-V-A-N. It's painted on the side of the van. And Persia's in there. She's saying that the chain was worth it to put John Brown in his place. Um, also, this is just a side note. She wears, the, the entire time they're out, she wears these really fabulous butterfly wing sunglasses that are very mid-2000s. Um, and I just quite like them. So they arrive at the mini golf place. Persia says the jewelry thing is starting to get out of hand. It's really heavy. Uh, they, like, show it to the guy who's, like, giving them their clubs and stuff. They're like, what do you think about her necklace? He's like, oh, is that heavy? She's like, Yeah. Um, she's struggling with it. You know, it's really hard to play miniature golf when you have this giant chain that's like weighing you down and getting in the way you can't swing. She's trying to like throw it over her shoulder. Um, and she's just, yeah, really having trouble golfing with it. John Brown says like in the talking head that he feels bad, but basically she deserves it. Uh, and Jess Rhyme says that he doesn't like to see anyone suffering, but she brought the suffering on herself and that the chain might be heavy, but it was a heavy word that she used. Um, and then Persia, like, starts to kind of come around, I guess, have a change of heart about everything. So, first, they're kind of sitting together at, uh, a picnic table, and she says to the others that she was drunk and it was really excessive, and they're, they're really encouraging her to rethink her use of the word in general. And she admits in a talking head that she shouldn't have said the N-word, but I think she just, in this moment, she means, like, I shouldn't have said it out of anger, and she still maybe thinks it's okay to say it, like, as a term of endearment to her friends but I don't know they kind of also say like I don't someone said I don't remember who it is that the change has started she might not change completely overnight but like definitely a change has been started in her and then in the van on the ride back she actually starts to break down crying and she says that she's learned a lot in her life she grew up poor she was homeless she grew up without a father but she's so ashamed that it took her again I don't know exactly what she means if she's just not being quite as articulate as what she actually like intends to say here but she says I'm so ashamed that it took me offending somebody to realize what she doing was what she was doing was wrong 
And it's just like, it's not necessarily that anyone was offended. It was just that what you were doing was wrong. But she did say, I called him out for being an idiot. And I sounded just like an idiot, which is quite true. So she's very ashamed. Um, hopefully she's learned her lesson. Um, but yeah, I think that that definitely made an impact on her. And I think that that was great that this was something that like this conversation was happening in 2007. I just wish it had gone a little bit deeper throughout the season about talking about, you know, maybe the history of the word, the history of the use of the word and like the reclamation of the word, the use of it by black hip hop artists and why it's never okay for a white person to ever use or say that word. I don't know, maybe if that should happen and I watched this when I was in an eighth grade, it would have took and it wouldn't have taken me until 2015 to really realize that. Um, so then MC Search comes back. I guess this is the next day. He calls them all out and explains that it's elimination day and someone is going home. So he also wheels out a cart of like high top converse looking sneakers that have their name painted on the side and kind of graffiti style. Um, so he explains, I guess these are like the equivalent of the Flavor Flav clocks or whatever. <laughs> I think it's dumb. The, that they're going to need to wear them to every elimination, but if they're eliminated, they have to give the sneakers back. And it's just like, it's an unnecessary step, but whatever. So they all grab their sneakers and they go meet on this stoop that's somewhere in their house <laughs> and Search welcomes them to elimination. He says that the stoop represents a lot in hip hop. It's where some people grew up and hang out with, hung out with their friends, but it also represents a loss of innocence. And to the white rappers, it will represent a loss of that $100,000. So he explains that when they went out and met the neighbors, the gift bags that they had that had these sealed envelopes in them, that was a sealed critique form. And basically they used the forms, you know, it said, what did you, how did you find your white rapper experience? Would you buy a CD from them? Were they strong? Were they, were they whack? And based on the feedback from the forms, they were able to determine a winner. Um, he says that the winning team is Persia's team. Naturally, that makes the most sense. And they go step off to the side and sit down. And then MC Search kind of explains more how the eliminations work. So basically, they're going to be given a topic to rap about. They'll have some time to write, and then they have to deliver. For today's elimination, since they went out and they experienced South Bronx, got to meet Grandmaster Flash, their topic is all about just the Bronx, I guess. Their experiences in the Bronx. So then they go to the ice ice chamber, which is, he says, where you better not melt under pressure. Um, which is like one of those looking, you know, like an ice machine, an ice cooler. One of the things that you would see outside of the gas station. It's just like, I guess, in a corner of a room somewhere. And they didn't realize that you could actually open it up and go inside of it. But you can. So that's where they go. They have 30 minutes to write. And then after the time is up, he brings them back out. So John Brown goes first because he's team captain. And... His rap is like not that good, but it's not that bad. He has some clever wordplay, which I will definitely give him. Um, he has one line that I really like, and it makes me think he's smarter than he actually seems, uh, where he talks about something. He says, like, John Brown is here to infiltrate Viacom, which is meta, and I like that. So I that intrigues me, and I would like to I would like to know more about John Brown. But he's such a strange guy. 100 Proof is next, and his rap sounds like a fucking nursery rhyme. It's so dumb. Um, Misfits 
is not good. <laughs> Misfit, to, listening to Misfit rap about her homies and her British accent is the funniest thing I've ever heard. She also forgets her last line, so she's really fucking lucky about what happens next so that she doesn't go home. John Boy, I was like, he is so boring. His rap is fine, but I find him so boring. Um, and then Dasset is last. This remember, this is the guy who the the neighbor said that he was the new Eminem. He loved him. Um, he tells Search that he didn't write anything, and then he just sits back down. All right. So then MC Search tells them all to stand back up. Um, he kind of goes through and just gives them critiques uh he tells he gives john brown props for taking the negative energy that's been directed at him and kind of using that in his rap <laughs> he tells misfit her flow is there i mean i disagree but again what do i know um he calls 100 proof slow cinematic but tells him to i guess make it less simple which again it sounds like a fucking nursery rhyme basically he just tells everyone bedasset to sit down because they're all they're all safe because they did something um so he gets you know kind of sassy with him he's like um, so we've got nothing to say about the birthplace of hip-hop, meeting Grandmaster Flash, being on his old block. Dasset says it was all a great experience, but he can't just write something. He can't just write 16 bars with no music right then. Search is, of course, getting pissed at him. Um, it's very, we were rooting for you, we were all rooting for you, how dare you kind of energy. And he tells him to sit his fucking ass down, which is fine. Like, that's valid. Sit your fucking ass down, you little bitch. Um, and Dasset's like, don't you cuss at me. You ain't my daddy and starts to get pissed. Search is pissed. He tells him that his integrity is on the line. Um, and basically Dasset gets sent home. Uh, he has a little rhyme, a little rhyming couplet at the end that he always says, this show ends where the next will be left off. Dasset, take off your shoes. It's time for you to step off. There's like echoey editing on the step off, making it sound all dramatic. So yeah, he gives him his shoes. He leaves. He, uh, Dazit has a little exit interview where he reiterate, reiterates that he doesn't write with no music. And I was like, so what do you expect? What did you expect from this competition? Like, what did you think, my guy? You're not going to just get beats every single time. Like, they do later on, but not every single time. Um, he says, <laughs> then he says he wouldn't have disrespected him if Search hadn't disrespected him first by cursing at him, which is just ignorant because, of course, it was disrespectful to just stand there and not produce anything at all, but whatever. Um, Search turns to the rest of them and tells them that this is not a game. Bring your lyrics every time. Bring your lyrics or you're going home. So they all get it together. And then he walks outside and he throws Dasset's sneakers over a telephone wire. And then, that's basically it. But then at the very, very end, it's super weird. Right as Dasset is walking out of the house, there's this, like, random end bumper scene where there's this guy in a roach costume who walks up to him and sprays him with a giant fake bug spray prop that says step off on it. And Dasset doesn't even acknowledge him or, like, engage in this little skit whatsoever. He just keeps, like, walking straight to, like, the other corner of the room. And that's it. That's the end. Um, we see in the, a little preview for the next episode that Sully and Misfit are going to start their fling. But yeah, that's the end of episode one. So I highly encourage you guys to go check it out. Go watch the season on YouTube. It's a lot of fun. Um, let's do the where are they now. So starting with Dasset, 
His real name is apparently David Shinovar. Um, the only thing that I could find on him was that he apparently was signed with MC Hammer's Full Blast music label and appeared in a few episodes of MC Hammer's A&E show Hammer Time from 2009. So I will be sure to uh, look for that if I ever get around to doing Hammer Time. Misfit I couldn't find anything on except for just like her I think it was like pictures on G Child's MySpace page from like 2007 so nothing updated. Um, G Child if you search G Child you find an actual black musical artist who's like a real artist uh, but the G Child from <laughs> from White Rapper Show is still around. Um, she's on Twitter as G Child Music and she has an Insta but it's private so I couldn't really see that. However, she did release three music videos. They're available on YouTube. They're all from seven years ago, so I'm assuming around 2012-2013. 100 Proof is still apparently working as a drunk rap rock, rap rock rapper, (laughs) whatever, Um, like still working, like currently in this pandemic still working. Uh, He tweeted on June 16th, Houston, I'll see you June 25th for the rescheduled Rappers versus Strippers show at Scout Bar. Um, he posted things semi-recently to his Instagram. His Instagram is half man, half liquor. Also, he's apparently on TikTok because he like I was on his Instagram yesterday and he had an Instagram story that was a repost of a TikTok of his. So that's great. Uh, Sully. Sully, after the show, he did a song with Busta Rhymes. He released two mixtapes, and he worked with a well-known music producer, Teddy Riley, um, and toured promoting his music. I don't know if he's still doing anything now. I couldn't really find anything on him. Um, a lot of this stuff is from MadamNoir.com. There was an article with the Where Are They Now of some of the white rappers from White Rapper Show. So that's where, like, Sully, John Boy... No, not even John Boy. Because um, no one cares about John Boy. Even though it was Sully was top six and John Boy was top fifth like people care less about John Boy he has a Facebook page that he posted to within the last year so I'm assuming that he's maybe still making music he's on Twitter as John Boy the rapper his Facebook page literally says John Boy's John Boy VH1's the white rapper show which on one hand I appreciate because it made it much easier to find him but on the other hand it's time to let it go dude that was from 13 years ago um In 2018, he released new music, so, you know, within the last two years. Persia, my girl Persia, uh, so sad. So Persia, honestly, she should have made it to the end. She was in the top four. She had to be, she just had to be let go because MC Search just kept giving her so many chances. She would choke under pressure in the eliminations and she would forget the lines of the raps that she she wrote. And then, like, Search would be like, take a minute, like, you know, take a breath, take a beat, then get back to it and she just eventually on the last episode that she was on she was like no I I can't I can't it's just not there so of course they had to they had to eliminate her but I feel like they kept keeping her over other people because she was obviously the most talented and if only she had won or gotten to the top two like I feel like she maybe could have gotten something real out of this um her name her real name is Rachel Musarino, which I did not know until I did this. I thought her actual name was Persia, which I'm a little bit disappointed that it's not. Um I found an article from 2010 on allhiphop.com. <laughs> Female rapper Persia was recently sentenced to 5 years in probation after police stopped her and found a loaded handgun in her car. Uh but she said that it was apparently because she had a stalker that she was trying to protect herself from, so that sucks. 
there was an article that was the one from Madame Noir that was from 2012. It says that she has released multiple singles and mixtapes, was featured in Complex Magazine, um, while also juggling being a mother. She has her own jewelry line called Purdy by Persia, which I don't think is around anymore. And then on her Facebook page, which I found very easily, she's very active on it. She had posted within a few hours of when I found it yesterday. Um, her bio says, retired rap chick, the Persia podcast coming soon, da 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 So that's something to look into. Hopefully that does start up soon. And then I did find her LinkedIn. It's definitely her. She currently works as an administration specialist at what looks like me might be a property management firm. So Persia seems like she's doing well. Good for you, girl. I believe in you. Uh, Jess Rhyme, his real name is Dr. Jeb Middlebrook. He did gain his PhD in 2011, and then he had his own business touring, performing, and DJing across the country. He released two thousand. Uh, he had released two albums in two thousand eleven. One called two thousand eleven Space Odyssey, um, and then another one called Apocalypse Now that released in twenty twelve. He also writes articles addressing social issues and encouraging the demolition of racism. So, like this guy has been fighting for decades now. Like he's been fighting the good fight. Uh, he is currently a professor of soci- sociology at California State University Dominguez Hills. Um, He previously taught at USC and University of Colorado, Colorado Springs in the sociology departments there. And he, from his page on the university website, it says his current book project, Prison Music, Containment, Escape, and the Sound of America, is a cultural history of incarceration in in U.S. society from the 19th to the 21st century, told through the sound of prison and popular culture, policy, and protest. He is also working on another book called Resounding Race, The Sonics of Multicultural Movement Making. A little bit wordy, but very relevant. Like, my God, like, I need to look up his shit because he's apparently, like, on it, right? Like, this is all very relevant to today's world. Although, he's a white guy, so I should look up and read actual books by black people instead, really, if I'm going to spend time reading instead of just, like, scrolling TikTok. So then our boy, John Brown, hallelujah, hallelujah, from that same Madame Noir article, after the show, Ghetto Revival released a mixtape, had their hoodies advertised on SOHH.com, and acquired a female rapper named Victoria Ortiz under the Ghetto Revival Models umbrella. But John has left his Ghetto Revival roots and now is promoting The Burbs Life. He has released a new LP and is still making his music hustle, including producing music as well. Uh, they apparently released a music video, I think this was back, like, right in 2007 when this came out, um, for the song Hallelujah Holla Back. John Brown is also currently active on Twitter at Kinga de Burbs. That's Kinga Duh with a D and Burbs with a Z. And then Shamrock. So after winning the show, he did collaborations with multiple artists, including B.O.B., pre-airplanes. <laughs> Isn't B.O.B. a flat earther as well? I, like, hopefully pre-flat earther shit as well. Um, he released a new LP on September 4th named Money Green and has his own bit. Bu- okay, now this is confusing. This is what the Madame Noir article said. Has his own business called White, W-Y-T-E, White Music that sells apparel, music, and accessories. Now I clicked that link. It takes you to a white music store still, but it looks like it's for a completely different rapper, a white rapper named Lil White who is like verified on Twitter, has like his own Wikipedia music page, like it seems legit. So I was like, oh, did Shamrock not, like is he not around anymore? Like what's happening? 
But then I found, I think it was on Reddit or something, something that said like he was part of Lil White's record label. So I don't, I don't know what the answer is here. Um, Shamrock has a couple of music videos from 2012 on his YouTube page. He has a Facebook, but the last post was in 2017. So who knows how active he actually is. Um, I'm actually surprised that I found as many of those people as I did. <laughs> like, I thought they would all be, like, nothing burgers. Um, so the last question, does it hold up? Is it worth a rewatch? In my personal opinion, I say hell yes. It was really fun to go back and watch this. I think, again, it's pretty relevant. Um, I mean, not as relevant as, like, actual media from black people, but... You know, if you're going to watch an old VH1 show from 2007, this is probably the most relevant one that you could watch right now. Um, and it's definitely just fun. Like, it's dumb. It's funny. It's it's a good time. I, I enjoyed rewatching it for sure. And I think that's it. Yeah, well, oh my gosh, I did it. This was so daunting to try and record this podcast again. I was so nervous to do it, but I think I did okay. It's so nice to talk to you guys like for a full episode once again. Um, I'm excited to be back. I love and I missed you guys a lot. Um, If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. Give it a five-star rating and review on all of the review places. That helps me out a lot. It's very nice. Thank you. Um, I'm on Facebook at Snapback to Reality Podcast. On on Instagram at Snapback to Reality Pod. My personal Instagram is at really underscore Riley. Pretty sure it's on private again right now because I was getting some spam. So, um, but if you do want to add me, I will most likely add you back as long as you're not obviously some scammy spammer. Um, yeah, and you can email me, snapbackpodcast at gmail.com. But that that wraps it up for this week, this very delayed episode. Um, I will talk to you guys soon. I will be back. What day is that? If all goes according to plan, I'm going to put it out into the universe. I should be back on the 21st. And then we'll be back in our normal every other week schedule. All right. Love you guys. Bye.